Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I'm John Agroni from the Internet, California, and stepping out of a reference with references hanging off his references, he's Will, did you catch that reference? Ashton. Garfield. And he's still <laughs> delivering pizzas by hand in a world where they're really just delivered by drones. It's our Soundmaster Maverick, Sliceline Hines. Sliceline? I like that. That's did nice. you watch the new Silicon Valley? No. Okay, I don't watch Silicon reference. Valley. Great show. Oh, Maverick, you gotta get on Silicon Valley. Yeah, I just feel like I, I just feel like I'm at a point where I'm so far behind that it's just. I'll like, just watch Sons of Anarchy again. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy. I mean, to be time. fair, there's so many good shows on right now. That I don't begrudge you for not watching everything, but at the same time, I think you'd get a real kick out of. I'd say Silicon it's one Valley. of. Yeah, it's one of the better ones. In fact, I didn't even think to add that to our mini reviews, but. Oh yeah, I haven't seen the new episode yet, but I've heard it's good. Yeah, it is good. I I enjoyed it more than most of the episodes from last season. So there's your menu review, guys. Silicon Valley, HBO. A plus, that's the show. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Well, hey, we're doing uh, Ready Player One this week. That is our featured review. Ready Player One, of course, is... uh, that, that's the big movie. I, I think that uh, a lot of conversation is to be had. And it's great to have all three of us back again. We've been kind of hopscotching this last month. You know, one week it's me and Maverick. One week it's me and Will. I can't keep up. We're just, you know what? Will and I, we got stuff to do, okay? We're, when's, uh, when's the Will and Maverick episode? Is that next week with uh, blockers in a quiet place? I think your fans would revolt against us. Uh, they'd probably, like, subscribe more <laughs> if that's even possible. I mean... There's only been one episode where you're not on it, right? That was the one with Matt and I when we did yeah. uh, downsizing or whatever. And that wasn't even like a full episode. That was like a bonus one. So That was the last call. I've never yeah. not been on a main show. But uh, yeah, one of these days, I need to take a vacation. Yeah, I'm all about that. Um, well, let's get into some off topics before we dive into our featured review. And I should say, our mini reviews this week include talking about Barry, again, the new show on HBO. Uh, we're also talking about Alex Inc., James A. Caster's new special on Netflix, Repertoire. It's actually a miniseries. And uh, Best Friends which uh, I just heard about from Will, so I'm excited about that. And uh, diving into our off-topics, uh, well, first of all, our Patreon is live, and there is a new episode of Anyway, That's All I Got that just came out, um, but that's our spinoff show, and our most recent episode was really fun. It was a really interesting one. They talked about movies that are worth seeing with your family. Um, so they were like movie experiences they had that they were like forced to see with family, but they ended up really enjoying, which I got a kick out of that. It was a very nostalgic episode. But for those of you who don't know, that's our spinoff um, that's hosted by, of course, Sam Noland, uh, one of our favorite cinemaholics. And uh, you can get early access to those episodes if you donate to our Patreon. So that's patreon.com cinemaholics. And uh, thank you, all of you who've donated. And uh, we appreciate, of course, every little bit that counts. And uh, one other thing to get into is we had a little bit of listener feedback, and I, and I really wanted to bring this up. Last week, we talked about Isle of Dogs, which, Will Ashen, you have still not seen. Um, nope. I Actually, the only reason I haven't seen it is because my screening is on April 2nd, which is Monday. So by next week or the next episode, I'll be able to talk about it. But unfortunately, I have not seen it. Yeah, we mentioned briefly that the release of this movie was kind of botched a little bit. Like, it was just not on as many screens as I think was warranted, and it kind of messed with Maverick and I's plans to see Unsane, which we still haven't seen, but we're going to hopefully talk about it next week. Yep. Nor have I, but I'm planning to see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, again, like we talked about Isle of Dogs and that was a movie that, uh, you know, we ha- I think it was a good review. Uh, it's a good episode. And we, of course, we talked a lot about the movie. We talked about like what we thought of it. Uh, we both enjoyed it quite a bit, but there was a segment of that review 
where we kind of talked about the deeper context surrounding the film. Uh, we talked about, uh, especially because Maverick, uh, his wife is half Japanese. So mm -hmm. we had a conversation about how the movie deals with uh, cultural appropriation and uh, is it sensitive to it? And it wasn't very much a debate. It was really sort of a discussion of like how to talk about the movie. And we, I think uh, we, were ju we were just considering the opinion yeah. of some negative reviews that we saw. We were just kind of having a discussion about those sure. reviews. And uh, we recommended some articles for some of you cinemaholics to check out since we just, I don't think we had like a very nuanced opinion on it. So, uh, and uh, hopefully you guys got a lot out of that. But we did get a response on Twitter that we want to bring up here. Um, so somebody came to us very politely, but uh, I just, I thought it was worth addressing because um, it, it kind of ties into like what Cinemaholics the podcast is about. And so uh, this person said, love your reviews, but hate when you start talking about anything other than the content of the movies. Who cares about cultural appropriation? Is the movie good or bad? That is the question and the answer. And I wanted to bring this up because I think it's worth talking about. Um, I don't think it's like a, a hostile question or anything, but I have a very strong opinion on this. I, I personally believe that what we're doing here, whether or not a movie is good or bad, is the complete opposite of what the point of this podcast is. I don't. I think film criticism itself is so much bigger than just an arbitrary thumbs up, thumbs down. Like we use things like that. We use ratings to sort of create a baseline, but I think we're worthless as a podcast unless we talk about movies in ways that you might not have thought of before. I think the fact that like, if you didn't think about this all at all while watching Isle of Dogs, but we brought it up and made you think about it, that's kind of what we're here to do, uh, whether you agree with us or not. And that's, to me, that's the point. I don't think it's just us saying, you know, this is the content of the movie and this isn't. I think what we talked about was the content of the movie too. Uh, I don't, I don't see how that is in conflict, but I want to hear from uh, one of you guys. I mean, what, what, what did you think when you heard this comment? Well, I, I was just going to say, I think, that kind of like what you said, John, if, if we were a pot, like as a non, I wouldn't consider myself a movie critic, right? Like I, I don't, I'm not in that genre by any means, but you are a sound master. I am a sound master. I'll give you that. Um, and I think if, if, if you want just a basic thumbs up, thumbs down review of movies, the internet has plenty of that. And, and I think what we're trying to do is, is offer something different, a unique perspective on what movie going is, right? We have two critics and then a guy that you guys somehow have led on this show, which is me, <laughs> to just talk about what movies mean to us. And I think what, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, John, but what this podcast was started to do was to do something a little bit more meaningful, right? I think the movie critic stuff is plentiful in the world and and we have an opportunity to talk about things in a deeper more important and unique way right um and i think stuff like that when it comes to where we're at in america now and how things are going i think it's important to talk about stuff like this and i think that does directly relate to the content of the movie because that's what the movie's about um especially in this context right isle dogs had a lot to do with stuff like that so um I think it'd be different if we were just off the cuff bringing up political hot topics or, you know, whatever. If we were just trying we were to make really reaching because I, I can understand where this commenter is coming from because I've heard shows that get kind of political and sometimes it doesn't feel warranted. Sometimes it does feel like a stretch. Absolutely. So I get it. And I don't I don't think any of us are. Uh, attempting to do that or be that right I mean, like, this is the first i think this is the first time anybody's complained about it because i don't think we do we this got a lot. comment early on something about political stuff back. but i think it was a similar situation know. where we were just we were talking about something that 
you know, and and this conversation started because we were talking about reviews of the movie. It's not like yeah. I was just like, "Hey, what do you think about this, John?" Like it was a popular but I get conversation. Where, I get some people though who are yeah, but I get some people who look at it as like a loop and like they get sick of like why is the conversation about Isle of Dogs only about this one thing? Yeah. And I mean, I would come back in that and say that it matters and that it's it's something like I think cultural appreciation cultural appreciation can't even say it right does matter because it affects a lot of people's enjoyment of the movie. But if it doesn't affect yours, like we're not. Trying to take that away from you i think Mm -hmm. that like it can actually either enrich your viewing experience or make you reconsider it in a thoughtful way which you know like if you don't if you're not interested in that at all it's not as if like that's all we're doing it's not all we're offering but uh will we we haven't let you talk what do do you think man well i mean i didn't want to say anything just because i haven't seen the film nor have i uh participate in the conversation that you guys did but i will say that i mean the base of this podcast like you said is to offer a plethora of conversations and to provide a different amount of perspectives that we haven't so i mean it's, i guess what we're trying to say is that with the whole movie conversation here is not just about the movie it's about what it means to our culture and all this stuff so to ignore that would just be ignoring part of what this conversation is because i mean i don't know just, i guess it just depends on what circles you're in but for me i mean what you guys were talking about that was part of what i've been hearing about this movie especially leading up to its release so i was going to say i mean if if i was in the conversation with you guys i would have brought it up as well so i can't see a situation where we wouldn't bring it up so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it's important to say we we do appreciate feedback like that right like we want to know what you guys are thinking and and if if we are at a point where we start to reach or we start to bring up stuff that's just off the cuff like we want to know that that's that's a problem so we appreciate i hope that the commenter doesn't feel like we're attacking him right now saying oh you're wrong your points about like we appreciate you letting us know and that's why we're having this conversation now yeah but okay, we talked about this a bit. I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's pretty clear where we all stand. Yep. So uh, with that, let's just dive into the good stuff. And uh, depending on what you think of this movie, uh, Ready Player One, and I have been very, uh, very cautionistic, if that's even a word. It's a word I'm up now. My word of choice. No, but I want my word because it's like a you know a combination. Um, sure. I've been cautiously optimistic about this movie, uh, and we should say it is based on a book by this of the same name. By Ernest Klein, and Ernest Klein also worked on the screenplay play for this with uh, Zach Penn. This movie was produced and directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, the legend himself. I mean, I, I had a little mini debate with somebody over whether or not over whether or not uh, Steven Spielberg is actually like a great director, and I was very adamant of like, yes, like you can yeah. you can pick out movies of his that aren't very good, but this man is one of the greatest directors of all time. He's one of the top twenty film directors, I would say, in history. So. Uh, I, I don't think you can take that away from him. But, uh, you know, he. it is fair to say that in the last few years, would you agree, Will Ashton, you know, his movies have been a little hit or miss for people. I don't know. I mean, I guess with most filmmakers, I mean, I guess pending one or two, most filmmakers tend to not produce their best stuff later in life. But I have really enjoyed most, if not all, the movies he has made in the past couple of years. I mean, I will say there are one or two that I'm not crazy about, but even like the ones I'm not madly in love with i mean mm-hmm. I, I tend to at least get something out of them he's such a masterful filmmaker that i feel like you get something out of even his weaker stuff and i guess we'll talk about that more in a bit but we will we uh, will yeah. it's worth mentioning i mean he's pushing 70s you know he's in that that era of his life oh yeah no i mean but at like peak he was truly yeah. one of the best filmmakers oh in absolutely American cinema, one, of the, one of the greatest runs um and in the last couple of years i mean i think from like lincoln and uh i really enjoyed bridge of spies he's made some good movies i and i would say uh 
Yeah, I guess BFG and Post are the two that I think of first in terms of like movies I just don't think were really that great, but they weren't terrible mm. movies. So, yeah, and no, I guess we it, it's worth noting that the BFG was actually the first time John and I ever actually engaged in a conversation. But oh yeah, I, I tend to <laughs> have fond memories of the BFG. I know it's not everyone's favorite, but it plays to my nostalgia, kind of like what this movie does for some people. But hey, same actor Mark Rylance makes an appearance in Ready Player yeah. One. He's Steven Spielberg's like latest, uh, latest His muse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, he shows up and he's really great. And I think in everything he's been in. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Ready Player One. This is a new movie uh, that is starring Ty Sheridan from the X Men franchise, of course. Olivia Cook, who was just in Thoroughbreds, and uh, you probably know her best from Me and Earl and the Gut, uh, Dying Girl. Ben Mendelsohn, who I feel like I haven't seen in a movie since Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, and T.J. Miller in what might probably be one of his last movies, depending on just, I think, his career is in a kind of a weird moment right now where a lot of people are saying that they can't really work with him. I don't want to comment too much further on that, but uh, Simon Pegg uh, has a role in this as well, and like we mentioned, Mark Rylance, uh, so two incredibly uh, well-known nerds, I think, in film-going audience between Simon Pegg and Mark Rylance, so... That said, uh, Ready Player One, is, it's based on the book. Uh, not, I'd, I'd say it's pretty close to the source material. I read the book. Oh, and, no, it's uh, not. Oh, come on. It, Whoa. It no, it's like 30 or 40% of the book at best. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's already started. Should it's, I just do mine first so you guys like all there leave? are There are key differences, but I would I would say that it's like 60%, which is more uh, than most. I mean, to be fair, you read this book in 2011. I read this book over the fall, so I have a... Kind of a I feel like I remember a lot of this book. Get though. a I, divorce. I wouldn't say, and I've read a lot of pieces on it. And <laughs> Get a divorce. Sorry. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, so the two of us have read the book, clearly. And I didn't I didn't read it in 2011. I read it in uh, like 2013, 2014. All right, my bad. Sorry. Um, so yeah, the movie Will, was, Will was going for your throat on that one. He's like, it's been 10 years since you've read the book, idiot. <laughs> so the movie is set in the year 2045. Uh, much of humanity escaping the desolation of the real world uses the virtual reality software Oasis to engage in work and play. Wade Watts, who's played by Ty Sheridan, discovers clues to a hidden game within the program that promises the winner full ownership of the Oasis. He joins several allies to try to complete the game before indentured players working for a large company run by Nolan Sorrento, played by Ben Mendelsohn, can do so. Well, this movie premiered at South by Southwest, and uh, it's getting good reviews. Uh, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of critics like it. Some people just really don't. It's gotten quite a bit of backlash, and we're ready to talk about it, starting with Will Ashton. Uh, what did you think of the book, first of all, and what did you think of Ready Player One? Well, uh, as far as the book is concerned, I think it's fine. It's one of those things that I, when I got into the book, one of the main reasons I decided to read it is because it had such a divisive response. Uh, when it came out, obviously, it was fond with praise, uh, especially oh, yeah. from geek culture. And now, I guess, like post-Gamergate, it kind of got a more critical eye, and now it's kind of been the sore spot for a lot of people and uh, i'm i don't know i'm as far as the book is concerned i'm somewhere in the middle like i don't i recognize its flaws but i also admire its kind of uh, earnest geekiness in a way that i think despite its kind of formulaic approach i think it's charming uh and i enjoyed my time i mean like it's a breezy entertaining book and it's not something that's like a master class in literature but it's it's fine i i would you I, I think would you say word. this book by Ernest is Ernest? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. You you really love that pun, I've noticed. But It's important uh, to be earnest. Yeah, it, it's important to be earnest. The importance of being earnest, yes. Um, which is a book I actually haven't read, but I, I want to... Great movie, though. I haven't, I haven't seen that either. I don't want to go over my blind spots. But um, 
as far as the movie is concerned for Ready Player One, after all this like hype and all this like uh, all, all this talk about what the it represents and geek culture and all this stuff, I I walked away just being like it was just a movie. Like I mean, it's not terrible. It's competently made, and, and I mean, I was uh, engaged, I guess, throughout in the sense that I wasn't really bored, but I I didn't really feel like I got much out of the movie. It's just kind of a forgettable blockbuster experience i i find the conversation around it is probably more memorable than the actual uh source of conversation and so i mean i there's something here like i mean i think mark uh mark rylance is fantastic i did not expect to like his performance as much as i did but he's probably my favorite thing about the movie and i as i expected olivia cook is great and she's really underused here which is a shame because she's really uh becoming one of our best young actresses i think and uh i mean there's a couple neat inspired scenes we can talk about in a bit but overall i i find this to be kind of a mediocre effort by steven spielberg's usual standards and by mediocre by steven spielberg's standards i mean that's still it's average i mean it's fine but overall i just kind of left it underwhelmed okay well then uh going over to you maverick hines uh you know you you didn't read the book but you watched the trailers uh what were you thinking like going into this movie like, were you pumped about it? Were you in the middle? Were you just, you didn't, what would happen? Um, I wasn't, like, dreading the movie by any means. I was like, oh, man, I got to go see this movie I don't want. But, like, I, this is just not, um, this isn't a style that really appeals to me of kind of, like, the whole, you know, super science fiction-y. You were ready to earnest decline it. There you go. You got it. You want to say it again louder? I was going to go with the uh, Ready Player Done pun oh that one's way better you messed up john well we'll done. edit that in post well. we'll make it so wins uh will sounds great um <laughs> no i was not like chomping at the bit for this one it's just it didn't seem i don't know it just didn't grip me uh i don't know how to describe why but wasn't super pumped a lot of people are in your boat that i've talked to about this but yeah. a lot of people aren't but you know it's yeah. more common than i think you realize it, it, I, I i will say that like seeing like the iron giant in the trailer and stuff like that instead of making me go oh i'm excited to see that i was like oh i hope they don't like i hope it's not dumb <laughs> like that was my gut reaction when i saw stuff like that in the trailer and it was and can we yeah can we talk about this iron giant thing because i mean the whole thing about iron giant is that he's not a exactly. violent exactly he's thing. not violent so if you're gonna have him in he has to turn into like when he's in battle mode otherwise and I, uh and like i i I was going to let it pass in the movie when I saw the trailers because, like, maybe they're going to comment on it or it's like, kind of like the joke is that he's violent in the movie. But he's not. It's, like, supposed to be, like, a cool thing. It's, like... It feels like the Ben Mendelsohn character who's called out for just, like, knowing the references for, like, just to make himself seem cool. Is that... That's how it came across to me. But sorry, man. I just really want to hear Brad Bird's opinion on his... One of his most he iconic He probably characters. doesn't care at all. Brad Bird... I mean, he's, he's probably too busy with the Incredibles 2 right now, but... I mean, which is done and coming out in a couple of months, but... Is it done? Is it finished? Well, yeah, it comes out in a couple of months. I mean, yeah. post-production... Well, I don't know how animation process works. I don't know how, how extensive it is. Coco but... was done in, like, the spring when that movie came out in November, so... Okay, Maverick cool. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, guys. <laughs> How's it going? You're still here. Uh, what? What am I... Do you want me to just go into the full review now, or... Because you kind of... Well, you, you said me... you saw Iron Giant, and it wasn't... It didn't grab you like yeah i wasn't i think the whole point of like kind of sneaking iron giant at the end of the trailer was to make me go oh wow right and instead i was like so easy way to say it's just i wasn't super pumped to go see this movie um and i feel like i walked away 
feeling exactly like I thought I would. Expectations met. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I will say, even though I'm probably a little bit generally more on the negative side of um, reviewing things, I guess I'm just a little bit of a hater. I didn't hate this one like I thought I would. Um, and I think I went in kind of like just trying to keep an open mind on it. But I, um, yeah, I walked out okay, I guess. For me, the the scenes and the parts of the movie that were in the Oasis... I was at least like interested in. I was like, oh, this is entertaining, like whatever. I wasn't like captivated by any means. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. But it was like, oh, this is kind of fun to watch, right? Like it was visually a little cool. The stuff that happened outside of the Oasis, I literally, like it was like I was watching two different movies and it was just ridiculous. This like, is weird. I have a completely opposite opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm the exact opposite on that one. Yeah, and but. maybe it's just because like, I, I didn't really care about this story much because I, you guys read the books, right? So maybe you I were wonder looking if for that stuff. Plays a big part in it, yeah. right? I don't yeah. know this story, so I wasn't looking for stuff. I wasn't remembering anything. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "This is, you know, this is the first time I'm, I know any of this." So for me, the the fun actiony stuff, it's kind of like Pacific Rim, right? The action stuff was really cool. The robot fights were cool. The rest of it was kind of just like meh for me. So the well, real world story, the the stuff that was happening outside of the Oasis, I really just didn't care about. And it was a a lot of it for me was cheesy and just kind of like, I don't know. And I don't know the story. So I don't know if the book was a little cheesy too with the outside of the Oasis stuff. I don't, I don't know that. But for me, what I saw was just not super interesting when I wasn't seeing pop culture references and, you know, fights and races and stuff like that. Hmm. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that's like the intent of the movie is to get you super engaged into the Oasis stuff. I just, I guess, for us, it was just the opposite of what they were intending. So yeah, I mean, I get that, but I feel like the meat of the story happens outside of the Oasis, right? Like the whole danger, the whole everything is kind of taking place outside of it. So I feel like I should have been more interested in that, and I just wasn't. I didn't care about the whole. I would add to that. I I would say that the world portrayed in the movie never to me felt like dystopian like it i think should have been like i never they don't make a good case of selling why people would want to spend all their time in oasis which is a part of the reason i think the book works in making you care about like what happens to uh these characters because like if the oasis is lost all they have is the real world (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. you i mean i remember reading the book and being genuinely like wow that that would really suck because this is a an important part of their lives but one thing I like about the book is that that's an interesting commentary on like when they were too dependent on the Oasis. Uh, I'll, I'll end it there. I'll just say that like the book had a better, had way more things to say. It has has a lot of issues, but it has things about it that I think are really kind of smart. Yeah. And and I think you can get that from watching the movie as well, but you, I don't know. I feel like in the moments when they could have really locked in the point they were making, they kind of just went for like a cheesy cop out instead, or they kind of glossed over it with something cute, right? Or witty or whatever. Like, I just feel like they missed a lot of the opportunities to make the real world part of it more captivating for me as a viewer who doesn't know the story. I, I totally get what you're saying. That's a very, it's a good insight because it should have felt like when they were going from world to world, like completely different. But I think it was maybe, maybe it being so seamless is kind of a weakness because that just makes everything you're watching kind of airless to me. I don't know. Yeah. And, and like, I'll, I'll say I wanted like I was aware of this as it was happening. Like I was aware of like, man, okay, the real world sucks back. I can, I can, I can tune out a little bit because none of this really 
is going to care. Like, I don't care. Hmm. And I want, like, I was trying to be a little bit more aware of that. Be like, okay, focus on what's happening. But even like the intense action that happens outside of the Oasis, I was like, this is boring. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I don't want to keep saying the same thing, but I just felt like I missed basically half the movie. So I kind of walked away feeling a little half empty on that. It's weird because I think in the book, the real, when they're in the real world, I would say most of my favorite parts of the book are all taking place in the real world. For sure. Because all of the because the parts in the book that really work to me are when Wade isn't plugged into the Oasis and he has to face his own like physical realities. Yeah. And that's when like actually important stuff happens, I think, to his yeah. character. Mm-hmm. That- because uh, I'm just saying like, the, the worst the worst things about the book are when he's in the Oasis with his friends and it's just like pages and pages of like references that don't matter and like him just like memorizing all of this stuff and like feeling so you know boastful about it but like and a lot of people count that as a thing that makes the book super like just completely tone deaf and like oh that's a terrible way to live life but I think that's what the book is about yeah. and I don't no, know if I Will agree would that, agree yeah. with me because I no, think no. Like throughout the book, like he comes to a point, and this is a slight spoiler for the book, but I think it's important in how it relates to the movie because the movie just doesn't do this. He realizes this. He realizes that all this time he spent memorizing countless pop culture references, all of it, none of it has really mattered. It, mm-hmm. It's not the thing that gets him the girl. It's not the thing that like gets him to win the prize. It's it, none of that stuff ultimately matters to him. What matters to him is when he spends time in the real world, like working out, taking better care of himself, mm-hmm. and then when he actually like tries to go out there and meet people. And I won't give away anything else that happens in that regard, but th- I think that's the point of the book. So when people kind of say that the book is like, oh, it's just like a bunch of references, it's like, well, it's kind of villainized in the end. So I don't know if I fully agree with people who hate the book like that. Yeah. And I'll say, yeah, I, like, I th- oh, go yeah. ahead, Well, I've been talking about no, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think that's the reason why I did ultimately enjoy the book is that it's not like what people say, like all these references. It is actually, I don't know. I mean, some of the commentary, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I think in this, in this respect, it is in the fact that like, the idea of like being so overwhelmed with consumerism and like the idea of like living in this internet culture, it is kind of oppressive to the point where you're not really fully engaged in reality. And I think the book is aware of that and it's kind of melancholy about that. Yeah. Especially like towards the first hundred pages. And I think that's something that the movie doesn't really fully reflect is just how like sad it is to live in this world that you need to go into the Oasis. It's kind of, yeah, it's it, kind of treated yeah. as like a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the idea of like devoting your whole life to someone else's obsessions just to get a prize at it. I mean, I mean, yeah, I feel like the book has a lot more to say. And I guess, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's a 300 something page book and this yeah. is like a two hour movie. So you can't yeah. say everything that the book is saying, but at the same time, it does make the experience a little less fulfilling. I'll try not to keep talking about the book because we should just talk about the movie. Yeah. But like the last thing about it that I'll say that does affect what one of the major issues I have with the movie. And I haven't even said my, my thoughts on the movie are that I was excited to see this. I like this movie. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think that it's very, it's very entertaining. It's pretty forgettable ultimately, but I, I think I, I agree with a lot of things you both have said about the things you've liked and the things you've disliked. Um, I just think I liked some of the things a little bit more. That said, thing that about the book that I think I think the book really nails how time passes. Like the scale of everything, the Oasis feels bigger. Mm-hmm. It feels more important to people's lives. I think that mm-hmm. uh, the way that Wade creates this like sort of relationship with Artemis is much more believable in the book. And a lot of people disagree with me on this, actually. I noticed um, someone was kind of remarked and said that the love story in the book is terrible. 
And I don't, I don't disagree, but I do think that it, it makes a little bit more sense and it's a little bit more heart wrenching. Like there's an actual low point in the book. There's not like a low point for Wade in this movie. And I think that kind of hurts it because it's a little fast for a two and a half hour movie. So yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the transitions I think actually kind of works in the book that doesn't work here is their relationship progress. Like in the movie, it just kind of like they're, they're in the quest and she's just like, oh, let's go to this club. Like why? <laughs> eh. It's time for that point of the plot, I guess. Like it didn't really feel <laughs> yeah. like it didn't really feel earned. Like it just felt like okay, we just kind of have to go to this point. But in the book, they they kind of like they go on a couple dates and like they're kind of growing as characters and they're like learning more about each other. They spend a lot and, of time together. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just that that felt natural to me. And the in the movie, it just felt completely rushed. And I guess that's just a restraint to making it two hours, but. At the same time, you and know, it's it, obviously, it makes it it's less streamlined. Fulfilling. I get it, but it, it, just because you streamline something doesn't mean you have to make it too like tropey. You don't have to like throw a lot of like cliches in. So I, I think that all of the romantic stuff in this, with the exception of Olivia Cook as a performer, just does not work at all. But I agree with Will. I think everything having to do with Halliday, who's played by Mark Rylance, really works. And I especially like how they sort of change something in this movie about why they're obsessing over this guy's life. And I think it has a little bit more, like they make it, they make a little bit more sense over why he chooses this contest to be based on like why the person who should own the Oasis should understand who Halliday is. And I actually thought it was, it was sincere. And, uh, do you guys agree with that or am I? Yeah. I mean, speaking of, uh, Mark Halliday, I mean, James uh, no, sorry, James. James, I, I, I knew I messed it up, but I, I couldn't stop myself. I was gonna say, I mean, just speaking for me personally, I know, uh, it, it's said in the book, but they don't really suggest in the movie that he, his character has Asperger's syndrome. But I like that in the uh, movie, it doesn't really, it's not played for fun. Like it's, not, they're not joking about it; it's just a part of his life. But Mark Rylance did it really well, like capturing oh, yeah. the little nuances of it in a way that I thought was really, really well done. So I just wanted to say that it's never played for laughs. It's never played for like making him appear like it's, it never otherizes him. Yeah. Um, and they don't make him like a superhero, like in the accountant. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it does make him interesting. It makes him right. kind of a complex character. And I think all of that stuff, I think this movie and, has a good, uh, hmm? why he can't like, why he's so detached from humanity and like why he can't really mm-hmm. count, like get to know more people and stuff. I, I think there's layers to it. Yeah, It works. It's just that the movie doesn't have the time or the interest in connecting the dots. I think sure. that's what this comes down to. That's why the movie's very forgettable because stuff just happens. Characters just do stuff. Motivations are all over the place. The villains, I don't think are very scary. I, I think that IOI in the book is terrifying um, because you just really feel their presence and like throughout everything. And you really feel like, they will stop at nothing. Whereas in the movie, we spend so much time with Sereno that like, I mean, do you guys, did you guys feel this? Like, I just thought he was like a goofy cartoonish villain instead of somebody who should kind of be like, you know, make the real world feel very threatening. Yeah. I mean, not to keep bringing up the book, but I mean, I, I, even though he is kind of a basic villain in the book, I felt like there was genuine menace to him. Like I felt like he was kind of threatening in the book In the movie. Like you say, he's like a comic character, like to the point where he's even getting like kicked in the nuts for an extended <laughs> scene like that that was that was probably one of the lowest points of the movie to be honest yeah it really was the All juvenile right. humor in this movie was pretty atrocious um okay i i will echo uh that i i thought that olivia cook as artemis was really good in here and i've heard people say that like why couldn't artemis just be the main character what do you so, guys yep, think of that uh, I've, I've heard a lot of takes like that like she's a more interesting character than wade watts um and I've heard people complain that, like the reveal of like why she is has self esteem issues. I I get a 
gross taste in my mouth when, or bad taste in my mouth when people are like, that's it? That's why she has self-esteem issues? To which I'm like, look, people, people have self-esteem issues over anything. And I, I don't, I think the way the movie handles it is actually a lot better than the book because it's like, there's not that much buildup to it. It's not something that is integral to her character. It's just like a small piece of it. And uh, I kind of like how they streamlined that aspect of the movie into it. The like what her, what her deal is basically. And, uh, but back to the original thing. I mean, what do you guys think of her as a character? Do you think it, she should have just been the main character? Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, I said that when I read the book too, I mean, it just, I think she's just a much better character, but I figure that Ernest Klein is just, I guess he doesn't have, doesn't have that perspective and he just wasn't interested in telling the story, which I guess kind of goes into the fact that I think the book is a better, uh, like outline for a great movie than hmm. as, uh, a, a yeah, great like, story itself. But yeah, maybe like a spiritual, you know, adaptation could have been interesting. I mean, I, yeah. when I was watching this, I was honestly, and when I read the book too, I was thinking about sword art online, which was one of my favorite, uh, properties that, atta- uh, that goes after this, this concept of virtual reality and people like, you know, doing this sort of thing. Um, for those of you who don't know, I mean, sword art online is an, a really great anime. Uh, the first season is very good. The other seasons are pretty terrible, but the, the manga in the series is great. And one of the things that that show does very well is how it handles the like main that like the main uh, female character. Um, she's a love interest, but I think in a way that does not make her an object, basically. Um, so for those of you who do not like Ready Player One, but you like this concept, I definitely recommend it. It's uh, it's a very it also has really great stakes. Uh, it really feels like what they do in the virtual world like really matters. So uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I guess going back to the Gamergate thing, I guess there's a ongoing idea that the book kind of condones toxic masculinity or it, it like uh says like it's like a quirk or maybe something i don't know you, you get what i mean by that like uh sort of uh yeah yeah it, it definitely doesn't deconstruct that idea of like guys just being really despicable and getting away with it uh, I don't think it's what the movie is about. I don't think the movie tries to deal with yeah, that. Yeah, more the book. Um, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- I'd say, just speaking on the movie, it- things happen so fast. I mean, you really only find the glaring holes, I think, in logic, first of all, um, if- after you give it a little bit too much thought. But the reason I think the movie basically works is because it moves so quickly that you don't have time to really think it through. So if, like, if you go in with a bit, this is why I've been telling people, if you're basically interested in this movie if you're willing to give it a chance i think that you're going to be able to stick with it and like be able to enjoy your time with it i don't think it's a movie that you're going to watch again and again probably except to catch all the references obviously but in terms of like a thinking man's movie or um or thinking person's movie i should say um in terms of a movie that i think like actually strikes a chord with people i don't think this comes even close but it should have i i think that this material lends itself to being a smart commentary on stuff i mean it does try to do that with net neutrality uh, it tries to do that with nostalgia, but it just, it's, it's kind of brainless and it kind of knows it is and kind of runs with it. And that's what we just have. That's what we've been given. And, and uh, I think your mileage varies on like how much patience you have with dumb spectacle movies that uh, are being made by someone whose best movies are probably behind them. Um, hopefully that's not the case, obviously, but you know, just being cynical. Well, tell us how you really feel, John. <laughs> I do. We've talked about it. I, I do love Spielberg I, and I consider him uh, one of the finest directors, but uh, you know, I, I think that what I like about his movies more recently is the fact that he has 
kind of gone out of his comfort zone at times. Um, you know, it, I, I think that uh, the post is definitely not a good example of that. But uh, he is doing different kinds of movies here and there, and uh, I hope that's what he continues to do with his career. That's I think that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like for me, my favorite part. I guess like the last time I really, really enjoyed Spielberg was like around like the mid 2000s when he was making like Munich and like mm. movies like Catch Me If You Can, where he was kind of going out of his comfort zone and making a little more mature, darker stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I really like Tintin. I, I like BFG a lot. Tintin's I mean, good. Yeah. I'd say his last terrific movie, like his last masterpiece is probably Saving Private Ryan. Um I don't know, man. Munich is, it might be a masterpiece. I'm, I'm not, have to see it again. I, I'm not the biggest Munich fan. So uh, yeah, maybe I should see it again too. Um, but I mean, I just don't know if he's, I don't know if he's been able to top Saving Private Ryan and that's I mean, uh, very hard to uh, do. So We haven't talked about Minority Report. I actually haven't seen that one. Would you consider that one? It's a good movie. There? Again, it's, it's one of his better movies, like 2000s on. Yeah. But it's okay. not like... Yeah, it's it's not up to the par, I think, of Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, like those films he's sure. done. Maverick, what do you think? I'm sorry, I keep hogging the conversation from you. What do I think about what? <laughs> oh, like new, uh, new Spielberg, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a lot of it. You saw the post. I saw the okay. I didn't love the post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How much do you love Warhorse? Never seen it. <laughs> Gosh, I, so I had a teacher in high school who was quite the film buff, and she was always trying to get um, the. She was in charge of the improv comedy group that I was in, and she was always trying to get us all to like. She's like watch movies. We always talked about the Oscars and stuff. And I remember like after the Oscars that year, she talked about Warhorse and how much she hated it for like months. <laughs> like she did not like Warhorse. So that's my only experience. Yeah, with I mean, it's not a great movie, but some people like really it, like it. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, but it, it didn't deserve Best Picture or whatever nominations it got. Yeah. Uh, so Ready Player One. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really agree with you. I had to say, Will, about how it does feel like the backlash around this movie, the and including the hype. The like, I can't wait. I think it's a lot of much ado about little. You yeah. know, I don't think it's a worthless movie. I think that uh, I didn't really talk into the stuff that I really liked, which it, it has really cool chase scenes. And I, I really appreciate that the references that they do use in this movie are really blink and you'll miss it. And it's okay that that's the case. Like, I never felt like uh, references were important to understand. There were lots of references I didn't, you know, fully get. My only issue is that I think... Oh, and then one thing that the movie does really... That does way better than the book is how they get the keys. Like in oh, yeah, the for book, sure. getting the keys is like you're rewarded for just memorizing useless stuff. But like in the movie, it's more about like, okay, actually in, interact with the culture, interact with your nostalgia, try to understand what it means, why it's important. It really did feel more of like the winner of the Oasis is the person who um, has empathy. And I really dug that. I thought that was a good way to do it. And, you know, they, for the purposes of a movie, they use spectacle to sort of be like, okay, like the challenges are, uh, you know, involving, more involving is like skill level. It's not just like, I think one of the, they do kind of do it for one of the trials, but in the book, it was a lot of just playing video games in a video mm -hmm. game. And it's just so silly. And that's why I think the real life stuff in the book is a bit more interesting. Um, yeah, so it's that, also uh, drawn out more in the movie. Like the weird thing in the mm -hmm. book is that like they they spend so little time on the actual challenges. It's like only a page and a half, and then he gets a key, and it's like they could yeah, have drawn yeah. that out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with how like I think I think I think with the movie is uh, they don't it, the world feels a lot smaller. 
Um, everything kind of takes place in Columbus, Ohio. They, they sure. kind of lampshade it with like, well, this is where Halliday is from. And like, if you're really serious about winning the Oasis, you got to live in his hometown. Okay. That makes sense, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the case It's like when certain characters converge, you're like, wow, that was convenient. <laughs> you were all kind of within spitting distance. Um, but yeah. Okay. I, I think that's everything I have to say about the movie. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, my final thoughts, I think I've really said enough. Uh, for me, it's a B for Back to the Future. Uh, what about you, Maverick Hines? Uh, for me, it's. I think it's leaning a little bit more B- minus, just because I didn't have a lot of the con- context that uh, I think I needed to get the the real gut punch of this movie. Um, Which I agree with, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's just B- minus for me in that regard. I want to add one more thing because I didn't even, I'm sorry I didn't even say it. The third act, uh, the way all that stuff goes down, I actually really liked. I, I really liked how it was like scripted. I liked how it was choreographed. I liked the way the challenge came in. I liked the twist. I think yeah. the best part of the movie is probably the last 30 minutes. And the worst part of the movie is the first 15, which is like an exposition fest. It is so poorly told as a story in the first whatever minutes. I can't believe we didn't mention it, but it's because I've forgotten about it completely. Well, I tried to kind of bring it up, but I was going to say, I mean, they have to condense a hundred pages of exposition into 15 mm-hmm. minutes, which is a very unenviable unenvi- task. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does feel like exposition overload at that point. It's just like, here's everything you need to know at once. Yeah. Devil's advocate yeah. though. I'd say that the book really makes it all make sense within, I'd say within a chapter or two. It was, sure, yeah. it was, it was like 20, 25 pages to be fair. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you with the last 30 minutes. It feels like, that was like what Spielberg was really inspired by. Like that's like really what drew him to the film was that like kind of humanity coming through. Uh, and I agree. That's where the movie really tends to shine. I think it's actually what saves the movie more or less. Although I did uh, really like the, I really liked the three major set pieces. I liked all three, the chase sequence. There's one in the middle. We won't give away that involves a movie that I think that was, was weird. I thought it was genuinely inspired. I liked it, but it's weird. <laughs> that's why I liked it. I liked yeah. how weird it was, but okay. I like that. Uh, I like, the like kind of cabin in the wood esque moment where like oh all gosh. these like faceless people are just getting murdered mm-hmm. like horrifically and kind of like comically. But uh, yeah, no, it's just a, it's a weird scene. I don't want to give it away either, but it's just kind of a, it is one of those moments where like throughout the whole thing, I'm like Spielberg is directing this. This is really weird. Yeah. Um, and I really did like the chase scene as well, but um, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of stuff here. I like, and there's stuff here. I certainly don't like. Um, I'll just say real quick. I thought TJ Miller was just awful in this movie. Really? Like, I, I, I thought he was, he was given, just whatever. Yeah. I thought he was given terrible lines. Like every scene with him, Reminded me of like the World of Warcraft episode of uh, South Park. <laughs> okay, like like the That's idea of like episode. there's like this big huge like hulking guy with like a weird voice. Like kind of remind me like when Cartman was going around like in his avatar. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of a it's a mixed bag, and to me, it's it's fine. Like it, it's it's one of those movies that's like like you said, much ado about very little. It could have been great, and it could have been worse, and ultimately, it's just fine. So I give it a. A low B minus. Okay. I'll say one more thing. I'm sorry. Because I think I should expand on this a little bit more. Because I called the movie kind of brainless. And what you said there, like it could have been great. Like I think the movie could have been about something a little deeper. And like the idea of the Oasis is that you can be anybody. But 
the movie just doesn't care about that. Like the idea of like being somebody else, the movie skates over content like that. There's a moment in this movie where uh, a certain character meets another character and finds out that that character is completely different than they imagined. And in, 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 in the book, I mean, it is sort of played as like a big deal because that's part of one of the themes of it. Right. And it's just in the movie, it's sort of treated as secondary and it's not even secondary. It's just sort of whatever, who cares? And I just think that the movie just doesn't have anything meaningful to say about like what these people are doing and how it really impacts their lives. There's little lines are thrown out that don't really mean anything. The last line of the movie that I won't say is just so, it just, it's just, it, it just was nothing. And it could have been deep, could have been impactful, even for a blockbuster. Maybe it's a B for blockbuster. I'm going to change. Um, but okay, that, that'll do it for just, Ready Player One. Yeah, I just, I guess ultimately I just don't know why Spielberg decided to do this. And he said it was curious. the hardest movie he's made since, I think, Saving Private Ryan. Really? Yeah, he said, it, he said in an interview, it's one of, it's one of the, th- the hardest movies he's ever made up there with Jaws and Saving Private Ryan. And I kind of get why. Like, yeah, I, I get that, yeah. This, this was a, it was a tough job to do. And I think what we got, I feel like this movie could have been a, just a huge train wreck. And I'm, I'm glad it wasn't terrible. But Yeah, but you know, I just wish there was someone who was, I guess, like more nostalgic for those characters. Like, I didn't really feel like the nostalgia here had a lot of warmth to it. It was more just like, we kind of have to include this. Yeah, I mean, especially because Spielberg it. kind of, he made a point to not have a lot of references to his own movies. He's even mentioned yeah. in the book. And not really, yeah, here. And I guess that's the difference for me. Like in the book, like, I mean, you can knock it all you want, but I feel like the nostalgia stuff is actually pretty earnest and like sincere. Whereas the movie just felt kind of like half hearted. So I don't know. I mean, that's, I guess that's a big difference for me for yeah. the book to film, but uh, well, yeah, that's all I have to say. I'm done. We, we, we've said enough. Let's dive into our mini reviews. Um, starting with Barry. Oh yeah. Hold okay. on. What? I was just going to say, I, I didn't see any mini reviews this week because Fortnite took over my life. So I was just going to say bye to the cinemaholics. So that way they didn't just accuse me of disappearing without context. <laughs> I love you all. And I'll all see right. you all next week. Bye, Maverick. Bye. He's logging out of the Oasis. All right. Um, so let's start with Barry. Uh, Barry is a new show on HBO. I talked about it briefly last week, but Will, you had a chance to watch, uh, I think, a few episodes? Yeah, I watched the first three episodes, so um, I saw like a movie's worth of it. I really liked it, so I hope you liked it, Will. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm definitely a fan. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the main reason I wanted to talk about it is I just wanted to echo a lot of things you said about last week. I mean, this is a show I've actually been looking forward to since it was announced like a year or two ago, just because I, I, I generally think Bill Hader is probably one of our most talented comedic actors. I would agree. And that, yeah. I've been really looking. What's it? I totally agree. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And I've been looking forward to him getting his own vehicle. I mean, he's had little things like, I mean, he had he obviously had a prominent role in Trainwreck and the Skeleton yeah. Key, or Skeleton Twins. Skeleton Twins. Good movie. Yeah, I was going to call it Skeleton Key. I think that's a 2005 movie with uh, Kay Hudson or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's proven his chops. He's, he's obviously proven and obviously on SNL, he's, you know, probably one of the better ones of that 2000s period. One of the uh, best impressionists working right yeah, now. Yeah, and everyone loves Stefan, you know, all that stuff. But I, I, I love this show because it feels like kind of a commentary on that. Like the idea of like he's doing something that's doing like very – it's very lucrative for him. He's getting a lot of uh, good like financial standing from it. But uh, he's also kind of going through the motions a little bit and he like needs something to kind of find his like passion again or find some sense of creativity and uh, I do love that they use acting as a way to kind of have this uh, serial killer, or not serial killer, like assassin, 
guy find empathy in a way that uh, it balances. It's it's it definitely dwells pretty deep into the dark comedy, but it doesn't really feel like um, I'm trying to think what the word is like. Uh, I guess flip it maybe like like it it yeah it, or re- like there's reverence. a lot of stakes for what happens like when people die it has an impact mm-hmm. but at the same time it's also like uh kind of macabre in how violent it gets and uh I I don't know I I, I really like the show because you can tell that Bill Hader definitely has a voice and a vision for what the show should be because mm-hmm. he directed the first three episodes I saw and uh, it has kind of like a um. I guess there's like a Sopranos influence at times, like just the way it's like the show is kind of presented, especially with some of the more like kind of mafia violence. Oh stuff. yeah. But they, some clear, clear comparisons can be made. And, but they're both on HBO obviously, but yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it's, it's, I can't speak about it too much cause I still have to watch the second half of the season, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to echo a lot of things you said. I think it's a really smart, uh, clever show and I am looking forward to seeing the rest of it. And I hope everyone checks it out so we can get more and more seasons. But I'm, uh, I'm almost yeah. done with it. I can't wait to finish. Um, I would binge more of it if I. I would have finished it in a couple of days if I had had the time. Um, I would say that, like, you, like you were saying, you can really tell that Bill Hader is trying to, you know, create something here that is very original. And uh, I think he's done it. I think he's created a really original show with a really cool premise. And yeah, I will say my cast. only complaint so far is I think. The plotting of the first episode is kind of formulaic. Like you can kind of tell where it's going. Oh yeah, but, but I, I think I, that I, it's I, still so endearing that yeah, I kind of overlooked that. Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say I think it gets better with each episode I've seen. Yeah, like it, it goes in these different uh, avenues, and it it, it does takes not go where you expect. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, um, so I'm I'm excited to see where it goes, and I'm glad that Bill Hader, you know, he has a win. I mean, not that he's had any losses, but I'm glad that he get he can get this platform to really excel. So yeah, yeah. I'm just going to echo what you said. If anybody is going to have like a signature show right now that is just very, just well-regarded, he deserves it. Um, but okay. Uh, but, you know, well, I mean, I feel like you were saying something earlier about how this show kind of, you know, can be compared to another show. That yeah, just yeah. Um, so another TV comedy veteran has returned to television as not only an actor, but as a director. And I guess he's also said he's written a good bit of the show. Uh, I'm talking about Janitor from Scrubs. Yeah. Oh, man. I haven't watched The Middle, but apparently a lot of people like The Middle. The Middle um, was was a good show for like three seasons, and then it just kept going. Really, yeah. Um, Yeah, just to me, The Middle is like what I use as like my go-to for like mediocre TV. Like, I don't know. I I like to call it Better Roseanne. I haven't watched the new Roseanne. I heard it's good, but I heard it's very controversial. Yeah, that's all we'll say. But uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Another ABC show is Alex Inc., which is the return to ABC for Zach Braff. I mean, obviously, Scrubs was on uh, NBC for, like, I think, eight seasons, and then, they or sorry, seven seasons. Seven seasons, and then eighth and ninth. Yeah, they switched over to ABC, and it well, was such a big deal about it. We, we don't talk about the nice season of Scrubs. That doesn't exist. Sorry, sorry. The spinoff will not be <laughs> named. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Alex Inc. is... The reason I wanted to tie it to Barry is because, I mean, they're very similar. They're both kind of the same premise. Like, it's about a guy kind of stuck in a position that he doesn't want to be in, and he's going to a new, like, career path. That it's kind of exciting and scary for him. For Alex Inc., it's not being an assassin-turned-actor. It's... Uh, guy in a radio station going into podcasting and so it's the story uh, of cinemaholics no it is based on a podcast called startup i believe i forget the guy's yeah. name but 
it is it's one of the few uh things besides i guess um lore and tusk that's been based on a podcast as far as i can re- recall i mean there might be other things but well yeah because um, lore is the tv show on amazon yeah. and tusk is the kevin smith movie that right. yeah they they kind of goofed with i think justin long maybe i don't remember how that yeah justin out. long and michael parks yeah. uh and I, I haven't seen lore tusk is pretty bad but lore is not a very good show good it's podcast not, no. though yeah yeah and uh, i mean like i said i haven't listened to the podcast for alex inc but uh, the show itself is probably, I mean, based on the pilot alone that I've seen, it's probably the most mediocre show I've seen in a while. <laughs> uh, it, it's not without heart. I mean, I think Zach Brath has good intentions here, but the show is just so corny and so, you know, uh, typical of like broadcast television in a sense that it's just like safe, like uh, inoffensive, uh, like comfort food TV. And the thing about the show, or at least the podcast, is that it's like kind of going for like the like human, like the raw human experience, and like they keep talking about like we need to make it about like real life and stuff. And it's obviously like the most like telegraph mm. thing ever here, and so it just feels like this weird kind of contradiction that is really not something I'm enjoying. But I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because I do like Scrubs a lot, and I I am a big fan of Garden State, and I I, I think Zach Braff can be, uh, can be a talented filmmaker. So I want it to be good, but yeah, so far it's just not coming together really at all. So uh, thumbs down for that and thumbs up for Barry. I, I miss the Zach Braff of the early Scrubs seasons, but you know, I really enjoyed Scrubs all the way up through the eighth season, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, I think that Which he had a perfect series finale and then they gave it another season. Uh, we, I thought we weren't talking about that. Um, but yeah, what I I'll say is I, I think that like he he really goes on a turn in that series where he really starts off as a very uh, complex character and then he just really dovetails in this zany persona that it works because the cast is so good and because the writing is good enough that he's really funny, but it really robs some of the heart, I think, that we get out of the first two seasons. Um, it really starts to happen in the fourth season. Weirdly enough, though, my favorite season of Scrubs is the fourth season. I think it's it's got the strongest episodes. I think that it doesn't have the the most like whoa moments. Like I'd say, My Lunch season five is like yeah. insanely <laughs> is an insane gut punch. But um, I, if you can't tell, I love Scrubs. Scrubs is one of my favorite yeah. shows, and I I have had a, I've had a hard time with just Zach Braff kind of as a human being and kind of as somebody who you, he has made like a good movie, but I think, uh, he's made some bad ones. I think, uh, what was that one that he made that used the shin song in the trailer while we're here? Or oh, wish here? I was here. Wish I was here. Yeah. That movie was terrible. And I just, I it don't, pretty bad. I just don't understand. Like this is somebody who I, I think does have a lot of talent and, uh, I think he's in a creative slump and I'd love to see like a renaissance, you know, with him mm-hmm. and, uh, maybe him sort of like just tapping back into like what made him connect with a lot of people, I think in those, those scrubs seasons. Um, I just don't think that's really happened yet. Yeah. I Garden state, tr- I'd say would be close. What was it? Garden state. Yeah. I, I actually really do enjoy garden state and I've been meaning to revisit it. I know it does not have its fans, but I'm, I don't, I don't care. I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he also did going in style last year, which is probably one of my least favorite movies of 2017. To be perfectly honest, I didn't uh, even catch I, it. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just so bland, mm-hmm. and that's I mean I think he I think he just needs that spark again. I think he's trying. Like I think this show he's trying to catch that magic of Scrubs. It just isn't quite there. And I mean to be fair, I mean I've always seen the pilot, so maybe it gets really good at the plenty end of, the of show. Yeah, plenty of shows find their footing in the first four episodes. 
but yeah, I mean, like like you're saying, like I think one of the reasons I love Scrubs is that like it does feel like it, it's, as zany as it gets, there is a real like humanity to it, especially like you said in those first two seasons. Like, you know, not only the fact they shot in a real hospital, but like there is like a believability to like their interactions and the way their characters mm-hmm. uh, communicate. That in the sense that I guess if I'm not mistaken, I, I think most doctors say that that's like one of the more realistic depictions of what it's like to be a doctor and a nurse uh in america i mean i'm not a doctor or nurse myself but it feels more real than like er or house or whatever but yeah, yeah i'd it's... say i'm not the biggest fan of shows like that so like i don't really know for sure, sure. i'd say that yeah if you're comparing it's like gray's anatomy or house and er that stuff but i'm sure there's got to be something out there that's more realistic than scrubs um, right. but maybe for the time it came out i do remember it, it was very groundbreaking in 2001 because of how it really is it really was a show that like depicted for the first time what interns really go through and that was kind of why they made the show like the the it's based on a real person named jd uh, that was friends with Bill Lawrence and, and Bill Lawrence has said that like he made the show like sort of literally taking his exact experiences and just putting them on TV, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you really get that sense. The show yeah. kind of loses that over time because they get so comfortable in who they are as doctors and it just makes sense for the show to move on from that. But sure. I would, yeah, totally. The first couple of seasons when they, they make a point to like show you what the doctors go through and it, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, that that logic is going through in this new show, Alex Inc. In the sense that it is based on a real person, and it's supposed to be about you know a real startup, but it just doesn't. It, it, I, I can't uh, see anyone actually relating to the show. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing about that feels really realistic, or like uh, you know, it, it just feels so corny in how it's presented that I just can't. I can't really honestly see anyone connecting to it, and so. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's being responded to. I, I It doesn't seem like anyone's talking about it. It seems like everyone's just talking about Roseanne instead. So hmm. I don't know if it's going to get a second season or not. But I, I might I mean, give it I might give it the med school try. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll wish it the best. I mean, I want it to be good. I don't want this to be a show that's a failure for Zach Braff, but I just am not seeing it with this first episode. So hmm. I don't know. I might give it another one or two or three just to see if it picks up at all but so far i'm pretty underwhelmed okay and that was a much longer conversation than i anticipated yeah. but uh well, we it was good I'm, I'm glad we did because uh that yeah. i think that's a fun topic and uh, i hope you guys got something out of that uh this next thing uh this is a weird little story uh so this past week i have been not watching anything except for honestly the only things i've been watching at all this week have been what we're about to talk about and I watched like an episode of Boruto because it was just the latest episode. So the the only thing that I watched for mini reviews was James A. Caster's uh, new mini series on Netflix, which is like a pair. It's like four stand up specials. They're not very long, um, but it's called Repertoire. And the reason I watched this, I made a point to watch this, is because a few days ago, um, I think it was like Wednesday or something. Uh, you know, I was on the Twitter. And James Acaster himself actually like retweeted at me, and uh, we, we he was kind of joking with me because uh, I was ribbing with uh, Seamus uh, Gorman, uh, a YouTuber friend of mine, and uh, I don't remember what the, even the conversation was about, but at some point James Acaster made a joke at my expense, and uh, I kind of joked with him, and the next thing I know he's telling me that like he really hopes that I watch his newest specials because he said that my, my writing had inspired a lot of like what he did. 
Oh, and I was nice. like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was very confused. But yeah, he said that certain fan theories that I've written, including the Pixar theory, including a, a, he's, he mentioned a couple other ones, uh, apparently like really helped him. Like he said it multiple times. And I, so I watched the specials. Like, how could I not? So yeah, for sure. I made a point to check them out. And uh, I want to say, first of all, uh, I had never I'd never watched his specials before. I don't know if there are any other ones on Netflix, but I'd heard of him and I'd seen clips of his on YouTube. He's a very funny comedian um, from, I think he, he lives in London, and uh, but he's from like uh, Kettering, I think. And he, he's been around and uh, he's, he's, I think, a pretty well-respected uh, comedian. Uh, Maverick was aware of him and uh, definitely is, he wants to check out the special because I have to say, I really dug, uh, especially the first episode of Repertoire. It is just hilarious. I and you know I went into it thinking it was like, well, I, I better like this because you know he said <laughs> flattering things about me, but I genuinely, genuinely, this is one of the funnier uh, stand-up specials I've seen in a while. And uh, the second one is is not quite as good. Uh, episode two, it has its moments. Uh, there's a specific thing having to do with religion that I found I was connecting so much with. Um, and the third and fourth are really solid. So I, I'd say definitely worth checking out. It's very funny. His timing is really good. He's very inventive. Um, I, I wasn't expecting that. He There is a moment in the show where he sits down, puts up a tape recorder, and just starts playing something from this tape recorder I will not give away that had me losing my mind. It was so hilarious. Uh, this is a great comedian. I, I definitely recommend checking out his special. And uh, I want to dive into some of his earlier stuff too. Cool. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, that was much more personal than I expected. But <laughs> I'm glad you had that experience. When I, when I mentioned James Acaster, yeah, you probably weren't like, oh, yeah, that sounds like something. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually not that familiar with this guy, but uh, I'll have to check out his stuff. I, I hope you do. I hope you do. He's, he's well worth your time. Okay, so that's James Acaster Repertoire, and uh, we just have one more mini, uh, mini review for you guys. Uh, Best Friends. This is something that you checked out, Will. I know nothing about it. Please tell okay. me everything. Yeah, so this is the uh, long-awaited reunion for Tommy Wiseau and Greg Cicero. If you don't know, those are the uh, two guys behind the room, or I guess... Uh, the two guys starring in the room, at least, uh, their story was depicted in The Disaster Artist this Good fall, movie. and uh, Jake, Greg Cicero wrote the source material for that movie, and uh, yeah, this is their, I guess, sort of sequel to The Room? It's mm-hmm. a movie that uh, Greg Cicero wrote, I think it's his first produced screenplay, and uh, yeah, it's the first time they've shared the screen together since The Room, and uh, it's it's a very, very, very bizarre movie. It's... um. Much like the book, it's based on Greg's relationship with Tommy Wiseau, uh, specifically their 2003 road trip. And I guess the catalyst for the movie was like meeting this strange guy and Greg going, is this guy going to murder me? Uh, that's basically <laughs> the basis behind the movie. Um, and it's like a pseudo intellectual dark comedy slash kind of a horror movie. It's uh, wow. it, the best I can describe it as it's like a facts david lynch kind of thing where it's um so like the best i can describe the movie and i i am not gonna give it its full due but the plot is uh greg is this homeless guy uh he like wakes up when we first see him like covered in blood and he has like this really fake beard kind of like um dave franco and the disaster artist um he's just walking around trying to get money and he uh runs into uh tommy's character i think his name's harvey 
and he is like this uh he he's not he, he like runs like an autopsy but what he mainly does is he gives fake faces to uh disfigured uh corpses and uh they kind of run a business together and then greg's character decides to sell the gold fillings that this guy collects and they make a lot mm. of money from it and they kind of go into like the gold business together and uh we learn that tommy's character is actually kind of someone he shouldn't be trusting and uh this only gets worse when he forms a relationship with a bartender, uh, where he get inspired for that. He's only told that story like three times now. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, but yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know how to describe this movie because it's one of those things you just kind of have to see it because it, it's it's more competent than The Room, and that's not a high bar to reach. But um, it's it's not a good movie, but it's not really a bad one. It's just kind of its own thing. Um, like Greg, I feel like his biggest uh, flaw is that he's not really a charismatic actor. And the only times that the movie is really interesting is when it's uh, him and Tommy kind of working the off each other. And I mean, this isn't a good performance from Tommy, but it's certainly an interesting performance in that he just kind of gets to go off and do his own weird thing. And he, uh, I don't know if he's actually was directed. Like he'll just do random things. Like he'll just like start singing in the middle of the scene for no reason. Uh, he laughs a lot, as you expect. Um, he just kind of he, he embodies like the craziness of the character, but it's also seemingly very improv heavy. And I guess because it is someone else directing him, it's kind of a better performance than wow. in the room. But it, it's about as good as I guess you can give as a performance from Tommy Wiseau. Um, I don't know if I can really recommend this movie or not. I feel like anyone who hasn't seen The Room or at least a disaster artist is going to be completely lost. Because <laughs> I just don't know what to make of it. I don't even know what to make of it. And I'm, yeah. you know, I mean, I've spoken a lot about my appreciation for, for the room. I've, you know, read the book. I've read the screenplay for the room. I've talked to Tommy Wiseau for an interview. But I, and I still don't really know what to make of this movie. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know what to grade it. I'd give it like a C, I guess. Because it's, it's also worth doing this. It's like two volumes. Like this is only one of two parts of this movie and that's a really indulgent thing to do there's no reason why this needs to be two volumes um but the i haven't seen the second volume so i technically don't know how the story ends but it's just a weird little reunion movie that i i can't really put my finger on how i feel about it but it's uh it's an experience i mean if you want to check it out it's certainly a movie um if it's worth your time i don't know but i mean if you think it's worth your time and you can check it out and I guess talk to me about it because I'm still processing how I feel about it. Yeah, like literally while you were describing it, um, I messaged one of my friends, uh, one of my film friends out in this area, and she, because she's a huge fan of the disaster artist, and so the way you were describing it, I was like, oh man, I need it. Like I didn't want to waste any time. I, I messaged her and I was like, hey, I think you might need to check this out. But then I literally had to be like false alarm. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually I, worth your time. I mean, there are like. There are some, like, beautiful shots in this movie, and, I mean, there is, like, a poeticism to certain parts of it that, I mean, I think makes it kind of compelling, but it's also uh, not really as deep as it wants to be, and it's not really, like, saying anything that hasn't been said hmm. uh, in the Disaster Artist book or the movie. So, I mean, it's a commentary in their relationship, but I think it's kind of everything you kind of can infer at this point. So, I mean, it's really... It, the only 
real catalyst to see this movie is if you just want to see Tommy and Greg act together again. And I mean, your mileage might vary for that. Yeah, that's an interesting subset of our culture, but I'm sure it's yeah, out there. I mean, yeah. it, it, it drew a full house for my showing. So, I mean, yeah. there are certainly people interested. But I mean, if you're if you're going in expecting another room, you're not going to get it. It's certainly a more competent production than that film. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not really a good film. I mean, it's not really intellectually engaging nor is it really you know i mean that funny i mean it's funny at times but it's also kind of boring so i don't know i mean i really don't know what to make of this movie and i would say for diehard fans of the room check it out but otherwise i'd i'd probably skip it all right well that's best friends uh it's playing in oh, it's also uh no right that uh the title is like the r is like an apostrophe so it also says best fiends ah that's confusing <laughs> but okay. it, that only makes sense if it's written out so mm. it's pronounced just best friends but all right yeah well like i said best friends it's in a uh, limited release right now it's actually playing here in the bay area so uh, yeah it, it was playing friday and i think it plays on monday so by the yeah. time this podcast comes out if you want to check it out you can see it in theaters on monday and i think that's uh it and then the second part comes out in june so yeah, yeah. well um you know i i apologize i didn't have a lot of mini reviews but that's going to change pretty soon uh san francisco film festival is coming up over the next couple of weeks so i'm going to be seeing um, if all goes according to plan, I'm going to be seeing eighth grade. Sorry to bother you. Uh, won't you be my neighbor searching miseducation of Cameron posts and leave no trace. Um, oh, man, so, so jelly. I know you should so come they... out here and watch these movies with me. I got tickets, <sighs> man. If I had money <laughs> for sure. Um, but, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do like a fun deep dive episode into some of those new films since, uh, we, we did, we do have a great Sundance film festival we did with, uh, Alex Blinkton, um, mm-hmm. a couple months back. Uh, definitely worth checking out if you're interested in those movies. Uh, they're going to be uh, rolling out over the next year. And uh, But for next week, uh, we are going to be talking about... Uh, well, first of all, I, I've already briefly reviewed Blockers. Uh, that's a new film starring Leslie Mann, John Cena. And I always forget the third actor's name. You remember? Uh, oh, Ike Barinholm? Yes, thank you. I, I just... You know, I, I'm sorry. He's not a household name in my household. I mean, um, I, I've seen I grew up on Mad TV, so I know him, but I mean... Gotcha. Um, he's also the Mindy Project guy. I know, but I just yeah, yeah I haven't watched I've Mindy, never Project, watched Mindy Project. I heard he's hilarious. I yeah, but anyway, that's Blockers. Uh, but uh, also coming out, A Quiet Place, and I think that's probably going to be our featured review. So yeah. uh, any objections? You have a few days to let us know if you want to hear Chappaquiddick instead. Or, I mean, unless like yeah. another Cloverfield Paradox drops, I think that's going to be it. Right, right. Um, but I'm really looking forward to a quiet, uh, quiet place. That's a new horror. Me too. Film yes, definitely. Directed by uh, John Krasinski and starring yes. him and Emily Blunt. So yeah, hopefully that one's great. And uh, Blockers, I'm not quite as excited about. Are you going to check this one out, Will? Yeah, I see it on um, Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, Isle of Dogs on Monday, and then Tuesday is Blockers, and then Wednesday is I Feel Pretty, the Amy Schumer movie, which I don't think comes out until the end of the month. Cool, but, cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean. We'll probably tease your view to come for that. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about Blockers a bit. Um, I'll see if uh, Maverick Hines is willing to check it out as well. I, I would be curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. Um, yeah, I think it's, and I guess we're going to both check out Unsane. Yes, yeah. So we have we have plenty on our plates. Uh, so it's going to be a great next episode next week. So, But until <laughs> then, uh, don't forget, uh, if you like our podcast, if you love Cinemaholics, please consider supporting us on Patreon.com. Any donation uh, goes a long way to help us out. 
And uh, you also get your own bonus content as well. Uh, also, hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, just Cinemaholics. You can find us pretty easily. Email us any of your feedback, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you again, if you love us, check out Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or rating. Thank you. Recently, we've gotten um, some ratings. We uh, really appreciate you guys helping us out with that. And uh, that's it for us this week. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton. For Maverick Hines, who I believe is getting me Chinese food, uh, and also from the broadband basement. Yeah, yeah, he just let me know. Maverick Hines, uh, you know, I, I started that. I didn't know how to end it. See you next time.